Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. If you want to have a seat, that'd be awesome. Great to see you connecting. That's a, a big part of why we gather, uh, is to connect with one another and encourage each other. Notice when we're in church. That's so good. Um, I'm Derwin, for those of you who are new, lead pastor here. And uh, we are going to be embarking in a, a couple weeks on a fasting initiative where we're going to be encouraging you to consider fasting for one day a month from the months of July all the way through to November. So we actually didn't add December to that because somebody would have picked the 20, everyone will avoid the 25th of December or of the month. But uh, we're encouraging you to think about uh, dedicating one day to fasting and prayer. And I mean, it can be something that you do while you're at work, kind of along the way, but uh, we, we want to do this. And Dave is one of our elders. Uh, he's a faster. He's a fast faster. Uh, give us some thoughts, Dave, on why you think this prayer and fasting initiative might make a difference in our lives and in our community. Okay. Uh, I think what... Uh, I don't know what other questions he has for me, but I think what fasting does, Jesus says, or, or sorry, the word of God, let's say, says that um, if you seek me uh, with all your heart, you will find me, right? And fasting is uh, a way of proving to God, but often just to yourself, that you're serious about this thing, your relationship with God, and uh, Maybe a prayer or an issue that's come, in your, come uh, up in your life. And so it kind of blows, gives you an opportunity to blow the chaff away, burn some of the dross away, and focus on, on God. And when those hunger pangs come, uh, that, oh, that's a reminder. Okay, yes, Lord, here I am. I'm, I'm still got this before you. I still have this desire to know you, to love you better, to do your will, whatever it might be. And um, uh, when that happens in, as an individual, um, you find yourself uh, not maybe during the actual fasting time, because that can be a trial of sorts if you're not used to it. Uh, you're hungry, you may be hangry at people. Uh, especially if you're working and have to uh, go through a regular uh, routine. Um, but in the fruits that follow, um, follow your fast. Uh, God promises to reward people openly, right? There's a reward there. And what that reward generally is, is, a, is a, a, an easier communion with Jesus, which is what, what this is all about, <laughs> what your faith is all about. And it's, uh, it becomes easier uh, to maybe reflect some of the qualities uh, of Jesus in your life and through your life because you're just in better and nearer communion with him. Multiply that over a congregation, um, good things happen. Uh, what, uh, I don't know whether you, I don't know how much you want me to say yeah, here, dear one. But uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but when we fasted over the Lenten season, um, there was a, a general, in my opinion, and take it or leave it, there was a, 
an elevated sense of, uh, of spiritual presence and power. Uh, things were easier. Things were better. There were, the word of God was, had more punch, in my opinion. And that, I believe, came because people set aside a, t a time aside to focus, make a sacrifice or two, and pray. Uh, where they might just not have bothered before, just wouldn't have crossed your mind. So we, I believe we benefited as a congregation from that, uh, and just in our spiritual atmosphere, and I believe that if we, this initiative that we're proposing will have the same effect. Um, lots more you could say, but over the time when Derwin's away, uh, Derwin and Angel are away, those are two pretty heavy hitters in the spiritual realm that we're going to be missing in this congregation. But I believe that uh, this will not only uh, fill the gap, but actually advance us, and so that we are uh, in even a better place upon their return. So that's my hope and actually my conviction about, about this, so I invite you to join in. Dave, one, one uh, more question is just, uh, there's people who have never fasted. I know when we did this during Lent, uh, my feedback from there was individuals who had never done this before, uh, and uh, so so give some guidance. Just uh, off the top of your head, what would you, how, what encouragement would you give to somebody who's never tried fasting before? Right. Well, I, I'm no expert, uh, but it was. I would encourage you to read a good book. I don't know if we <laughs> have resources available to you, but as a as a young Christian, I was uh, encouraged to build fasting into my set of spiritual disciplines along with prayer and scripture reading and so on. Um, but I had a good book. <laughs> it was a good basic book, uh, you know, prayer and fasting for dummies sort of idea. And uh, it was uh, God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. I don't know whether it's still in print, but it was kind of the this standard new believers manual for fasting. It's very helpful. Give you lots of good. What I would uh, say just off the top of my head is that you be gentle with yourself if you've never done this before. Uh, start, uh, start easily on yourself. So, so take, uh, for instance, uh, just go, uh, if, especially if you have to work, um, uh, just say skip food, uh, solid food, but have juice or uh, maybe some Gatorade, things like that, keep your electrolytes up, apparently. Uh, so you could drink that during the course of the day and then have your regular dinner that evening. Um, you'll get a significant benefit, spiritual benefit, from doing that. Uh, doing that. So, I mean, the, the classic fast is, uh, okay, only water uh, for 24 hours. Well, I think you can start more gently than that. Um, I didn't, and... It was kind of hard, actually. There, there were times when I, I was working during the day, trying to keep up all your uh, regular activities, and I ended up with splitting headaches, and, well, I won't go into some of the other details, but anyway, it was not a good thing. So I think you can be more gentle with yourself, and then uh, uh, maybe work into a more extended fast uh, with some counsel, with some good counsel, for both medically and spiritually. So. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, brother. appreciate that. Awesome. I, uh, I was going to say that we are providing a guide for you. Uh, we will encourage you. Fasting by itself is, is great. 
fasting and prayer, like being, making prayer a part of it. Maybe uh, the time that you skipped. Uh, actually, uh, I was in England uh, as a young adult uh, for six months, and during that time, my mom got sick. And so for two weeks, I skipped lunch every day. And in fact, a friend of mine uh, knew that my mom was sick, and so he skipped lunch too, and we would pray together for my mom. Uh, and uh, my mom got well, and it was a, a, a significant time for me. Um, and so uh, in terms of praying, we, we are producing every month a guide. So we'll offer it at the last Sunday on the month, and we'll have it on our website, a prayer guide that will give you suggestions of how to pray. So what are the, some of the things you can pray through? Uh, some written prayers if you're not comfortable praying uh, or you feel like you need some guidance. Uh, all of us can use some guidance sometimes, and so we'll have that. Uh, Lincoln's producing those. So if you want one, talk to him, but we have those available in two weeks. Uh, if you'd like to sign up, it's easy to do. You just go onto our website, and uh, fasting is going to be on there, front page, and you click on that, and there'll be an opportunity for you to pick a day that you'd hopefully do over the next five months, so the third of the month or the fifth of the month. And, and we don't care if multiple people pray the same day. The idea would be to cover the whole time, the whole 30 days or 31 days. Um, yeah, pick 31. You only have to pray, what, a couple times. I mean, so, what, what, but, but uh, the first Tuesday of the month or whatever it might be, you can choose in your own brain, and uh, you can do that on our website. Sound good? Yeah? You sure? All right, good. Let's uh, pause for a moment. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's just uh, take this moment to pray. Lord, um, Jesus came saying the kingdom of God has come near because the king has come near. And Jesus, uh, you're here. We believe this morning that you're here in our midst and that you want to speak to us. You want to actually address our lives. Uh, you want to... Um, bring hope and nourishment. Father, just as we sometimes refrain from food, you want to nourish us and lift us up and make us strong. And so this morning, we just, uh, in this moment, we just sit before you. Here's our life. Just sense that Jesus is, is there with each one of you this morning. He's... he's not far off. He's as close as the breath you're breathing. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. Would you do that this morning? Change us. Do what you want to do. We give you permission to change the furniture of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I uh, talked about hockey and found out that this is not really a hockey church. I was very disappointed in all of you. Uh, seemed to be general. Did, did you guys know that there, there was this thing called the Stanley Cup that happened this week? Did anybody, anybody know that? Yes. My team won. So grateful for that. The Capitals. I mean, Alexander Ovechkin, can you not be happy for the guy, please? My wife was not happy for him at all. No empathy. It was a bit of an anti-Russian bias, I thought, going on there. Don't know what. But uh, this whole season was kind of bizarre. The, the Vegas Golden Knights, if I can get their name right. I mean, uh, <laughs> the fact that they entered the league this year and uh, made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals was unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> you know who she was cheering for. Oddsmakers bet 
The odds were at the beginning of the season 200 to 1 that they would make, even make the playoffs. They got that one so wrong. Turns out they also, the odds that the Vancouver Canucks would make the playoffs were, were, were really bad as well. <laughs> Just so you know, turns out you didn't need to be much of a profit on that one. Many of you know I, I hang out with a group of friends at the, the local coffee shop, and a couple of them are, are gamblers. And uh, they like the horse races, and on the weekend they go to the horse races, and they come back on Monday mornings, and if they're talking about the horse races, then their predictions were very good. If they're pretty quiet about the horse races, <laughs> their predi predictions didn't go so well. It's really funny to see what they're talking about on, Sunday, on Monday mornings. There does uh, seem to be something inside most of us that, that can't resist the, the, the attempt to somehow predict what's going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> an urge to, to somehow forecast the future, whether it be with the, the stock market or the real estate market or, or uh, a sporting event or, or some kind of election results, or even just the weather. And some people approach the last chapters of Daniel, chapters 7 to 12, with this passion to predict the future of the world. Or on the other hand, some of them look at, at this part of Scripture with its apocalyptic images of beasts that symbolize like who knows what, and they kind of write it off, or they say, For, just forget about it. I don't want to go there. And I get that. And so they kind of stop at Daniel chapter 6 with Daniel's story of, of him in the lion's den. Two approaches. One of, of wanting to predict the, the future events of the world with real precision from, from certain Bible passages. Or avoiding the symbolic and prophetic revelations of Scripture. Both, I'd suggest, are not the way to go. You see, while, while the prophetic parts of the Bible do give us images of, of the future, they're not meant to... To, to give us a, a, a precise idea. It's not meant to enable us to make specific predictions about the stock market or about how certain countries or, or governments are going to unfold. Instead, I'd say that they're intended to help us live in a crazy and chaotic world. <laughs> they're, 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 uh, they're to help us make sense of, of this world that we live in. So there's this... <laughs> I'd say they're meant to remind us what, what some say is the core truth of Daniel. That in spite of how things look, God is in control. And so at the end of Daniel, God gives Daniel a series of visions. Now this is part of what is called apocalyptic or, or prophetic literature in scripture. And, and it often involves visions and images and, and symbols, which are often kind of strange to us. Sometimes there, there's those who are real convinced they're sure about lots of the details about this kind of scripture. So I want to have you have your own shot at this this morning. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7. We'll just look at the first eight verses. You have a Bible. You can turn there with me. Uh, let's, uh, let's read this together. Verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of the dream. Daniel said... In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and a human heart was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear, 
It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth because between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Everything clear? Let's stand for closing prayer. Actually, I want to start with what I I believe is a a wrong approach to Scripture that happens far too often, is people look at, at the beasts and the images in this chapter, and they use them to kind of play a guessing game to see if we can match them up with some current organization or nations so that we can predict that the end of time has come in our day. Uh, This kind of approach to the Bible has been going on a long, long time. I mean, uh, at various points in history, people have guessed about the ten horns. They've guessed that the ten horns stood for ten kings in the Greek empire. That was a a long, long time ago. Or, Or for kings that were set up by Napoleon. And so Christians in that day thought that the end times had come, and it probably felt like it. Or or they'd guess that the ten horns stood for NATO. Uh, When I was young, um, they pointed towards, apparently, (laughs) what I got taught was that they were pointing to the European common market as it was being formed, and it looked like it was going to have ten members. And, And so the problem with this approach is you can go around looking at any political organization with ten members and say, there it is, there's the ten horns. Some of you are from Vancouver, and uh, I want to ask you, do you know how many uh, councillors are on their city council? Neither do I. I have no idea. (laughs) But you see the problem? Any organization, it could be Coquitlam, wherever it might be. And certain people have been trying for centuries to match up which beast, which horn, with which country, and, and which ruler. And every time they do it, and they're wrong, and the world goes on, it's kind of maybe diminishes the the message of the rest of the gospel to the watching world. And and we need to know, I just want to say this up front, that this is one of these areas where interpreting these latter uh, chapters of Daniel, these verses that we're looking at today, you know, well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians happen to disagree a lot on this one. And so I'd encourage us to be really generous to those we disagree with those we don't see eye to eye on this, but I do think that that kind of, of speculation, that that kind of guessing game approach is, is not a great way to go. I, I think in this kind of literature, like any kind of literature, the best place to start is with the context. In other words, like <laughs> you start by asking, what does the writer intend his readers, his original readers, to understand? Daniel was writing to the people of God when they were in exile. They'd they'd been uprooted from their, uh, abducted, really, if you want to think about it this way. Uh, They're their first refugees, maybe, uh, and and, and planted in a land that was foreign to them. We're told here in the first verse that 
that this is the first year of Belshazzar. He's the king of, of Babylon. Uh, in other words, Nebuchadnezzar, who had been humbled. Remember, remember that story that we talked about? He, he'd been converted. He, he, as far as the scripture tells us, had begun following God, which must have, I think, brought hope to the people of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar's now dead. And, and they might have, must have been discouraged. And people are now living under Belshazzar, who is, by all accounts, a twisted, evil king. And so God's people are in for a, a season of suffering, and, and they're going to be discouraged, and, and they're going to be tempted to give up on their faith. If I was going to sum up Daniel's point for, for these verses, it would be something like this. Expect trouble. <laughs> Expect serious problems. That's really my main point this morning. I, I, I believe that this image that was given uh, to Daniel in this, in this vision are, are intended by God not to give us Inside, insider information about what countries to be on the lookout for. As uh, Old Testament commentator Tremper Longman says, he says, these images were meaningful in Daniel's day, and they're meaningful in our day because they, they primarily con- conveyed the destructiveness of, <laughs> and the, the violence of human power when it's used in defiance of God's will. Here are a few examples of this. Look at uh, verse 5. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. Now this is a, an odd picture. Uh, a bear with three ribs in its teeth. What does that mean? Did he have uh, two grand a time at Montana's cookhouse? I don't think so. Actually, it seems to be a picture of violence and, and aggression. This is not the kind of bear that that rummages through our garbage in our neighborhoods. This is a a ravenous, wild, terrifying image of of violence. Violence which leads to more violence. Hatred which leads to more more hatred. Killing which which leads to more killing. Think back to the last century. I mean, think Stalin. The, The kind of damage he imposed on his nation and on the world. Think... Think Rwanda and, and, and the massacre that happened there. Think the genocide that, that happened uh, in Cambodia and the killing fields. I think of the conflict that occurred in many nations. I think of the IRA conflict in Ireland. Or, or think today, we've got Syria, civil war. Civil war, what a misnomer, huh? Civil. There's nothing civil. It's the worst kind of war, brother against brother. Or, or ISIS in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, southern Sudan, Yemen, uh, <laughs> could go on. And then, of course, in a more subtle and, and sobering way, when we look at our, our own hearts, what goes on when, when resentment or bitterness goes unchecked, when we kind of let it runs its course and the kind of hostility that it can lead to. That's the way evil works. It breeds, and it's never satisfied. Next beast is this leopard with four wings to show the swiftness with which evil can act. Often in the Bible, wings are a picture of motion or, or speed. And it has four heads because human beings are rational creatures and it expresses kind of the, the cunning of evil, right? I mean, it reminds me of Hitler. Hitler was the leader of one of the smartest people on the, the planet. Germans are, are really, really bright, sharp, with sharp, rational minds. 
but Hitler, in his own cunning, was able to deceive the Nazis of that nation to perform one of the greatest atrocities of the last century in the murder of, of six million Jews and countless others in just six short years. The fourth beast has ten horns because horns were an image of power. And, and ten of them on a single beast would, would have meant extraordinary power. Verse 8, uh, the final verse we read, talks about the little horn with a mouth that spoke boastfully. <laughs> We've really seen this theme throughout the whole, whole book, haven't we? I mean, think Nebuchadnezzar and his boasts. Remember on his rooftop? Look at the city I've built for my glory, right? Or, or, or Belshazzar, Belshazzar, who you'd, you'd look at in, in chapter 5. He, he's the one who had the writing on the wall. God's judgment came upon him for his pride. And, and then the, there's the pride of nations. There's the pride that goes before a fall. And, of course, that, that posturing and, and that little mouth, that, that little horn that speaks boastfully, we, we still have a lot of that going on in our day, do we not? I, I, I read a story uh, that came out of the Gulf War back in uh, the early 90s, and there was a new commanding officer who was assigned to a military base in Saudi Arabia. And it was his first day on the base, and he was uh, going into his office, and a private comes in, and this new commander wants to appear powerful before his, his subordinate. He wanted to look impressive, so he picks up the phone, and he pretends that General Schwarzkopf is on the phone. And he says, General Schwarzkopf, yes, sir, I'll get right to that, sir. Thank you very much, sir, you can count on me. He bangs the, the phone down. He says, yes, Private, what can I do for you? And the Private says, um, kind of awkwardly, I, I'm here to hook up your phone. <laughs> Pride goes before a fall, <laughs> Scripture says. And that's what happens with this little horn that, with the boastful mouth. All this to say, this is, this, this, what's really clear about this first section of Daniel's vision is there are forces in our world that are hostile to God. And they're real, and they're powerful. Some Christians, <laughs> uh, pardon me, <laughs> therefore, I would say that the people of God, God's people, his church, can expect opposition and danger and suffering. We can expect persecution. And it, when it comes, we're not to be surprised or, and we're not to be tempted to give, give up because there's a war on. This becomes really clear in verse 21 where Daniel says, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints. He was waging war against the people of God. And it says, quite surprisingly, and was defeating them. Now, key question was, when did that happen? <laughs> like, like, lots of different opinions on this. Some Christians believe that this refers strictly to, to, to something that happens in the future, and that could be. But we do know that, that prophetic scripture tends to be layered. Uh, it tends to refer to something that is happening in the current day when it was written, and maybe also to a, a future event. But we do know that something like this was going on in Daniel's day. You remember Daniel had seen his, his, his people defeated in battle. When he was just a boy, he'd seen war waged against God's people, against Israel, and they'd been defeated. That was never supposed to happen. And then they were carried off into exile. And, and this, this event must have shaken them to the core. It shook their faith, and, and it needed to be addressed. 
And think about it for a second here. Daniel had, had seen a king tell his people to, to worship idols and to forsake their God or death. <laughs> Daniel may have seen his, his, his good friends thrown into a fiery furnace. And we know that, that Daniel w- was thrown into a, a lion's den because of his faith. It really happened. And that, that kind of war, that kind of hostility is, is still going on in our world. A while back, I read this article where secular foreign affairs correspondent Mark Danner described the persecution of Christians that went on during the, the, the Civil War in, in El Salvador years ago. Listen to this graphic description of this actual event. There was one girl in particular the soldiers talk, talked about that evening a girl whom they had raped many times during the course of that afternoon. And through it all, while the other women of El Mazote had screamed and cried, this woman had sung hymns, strange evangelical songs. And she had kept right on singing, too, even after they had raped her, even after they had shot her in her chest. She had lain there with the blood flowing from her chest and had kept on singing, a bit weaker than before, but still singing. And the soldiers, stupefied, had watched and pointed. Then they had grown tired of the game, and they shot her again, and she sang still. Then, and their wonder began to turn to fear, until finally they unsheathed their machetes and hacked through her neck, and at last the singing stopped. That really happened. That, that's a person who loved Jesus. She knew about the war that was waged against the saints. And, and we've reflected on this in recent months, how, how hundreds and, and thousands, probably hundreds of thousands and millions even, of our brothers and sisters through the centuries and all around the world right now know about this war. Again, I kind of believe that that it's important for us to know about this because life for many of us in this room who follow Christ is quite a bit more comfortable. We're we're not thrown in jail because we're meeting in church this morning. There's no threat of that. We're not tortured for our faith. Uh, We're not living in, in, in extreme poverty because of our Christian faith. We need to understand historically that the conditions that you and I live in as God's people... This is actually an anomaly. This is, this is not the normal condition. So we're tempted to think that when we follow God, life is supposed to be easy for us. We're tempted to think that, that part of the message of Jesus, part of the gospel message is that circumstances and conditions are always going to turn out well, and if they don't, that someone messed up. We're, we're, we're tempted to think that if we face serious problems with our health, or with our jobs, or with our relationships, or, or if even if we don't get something specific that we really, really want, we're tempted to have our faith shaken and, and wonder if God is somehow not keeping his end of the bargain. So I, I believe we need to hear these words. There is a war. And it's not primarily a war about physical suffering, although it might include that. Paul in Ephesians 6, 8, 8 says, pardon me, in Ephesians 6 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
it's, it's, it's primarily a spiritual war. And, it, and it's primary, primarily a war that's designed to, to pry men and women and teenagers and children away from God. And I believe it went on in Daniel's day and it goes on today and it goes on in human hearts. It goes on in yours and in mine. As I said a couple weeks ago, we, we will face opposition when we connect with God and are changed by God. There'll be this kind of value clash that begins to happen with the culture around us. But we will also face opposition simply because we bear the name of Christ and because we have a, a very real enemy who actually opposes us. I, I think, folks, as strange as... as the understanding that, it, that there is a, an evil and spiritual realm. It's the only way I can make sense of the world. I, I think it makes sense of the world, the world that we actually live in. Sometimes we get glimpses that there's that other world, and forgive me, I, I'm going to tell you kind of a form, about a formational event that happened to me, and, and I've told you many times before, so some of you know this story, but um, I remember this incident that happened to me years ago when I was traveling from England to Holland to, to visit some friends there, and I was on a ferry one night, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, it's an overnight ferry, and it was nearing the end, and we were instructed to, to gather together foot passengers in this disembarking area, and I'm standing there with my backpack ready to get off this boat when a disturbed woman comes up to me and begins screaming in my face, and she said to me things like, you Christian pig, you Christian pig, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. She's, she went on, you can imagine the language was colorful. And, and she says, I have AIDS, I'm going to give you AIDS. And this is back in the late 80s, and I'm, I'm standing here going, what is going on here? And she went on until ship stewards came and, and pulled her away. But she singled me out. And, and, and I want you to know, folks, a lot of her insults had to do with Jesus. And here's the thing, I, I wasn't carrying a big Bible I had no fish, you know, badge on my backpack. I, I, I didn't have an I love you t-shirt that I was wearing. But that incident gave me kind of a, a glimpse that there is a cosmic reality that I, I really know very little about. And it reminded me not just of spiritual reality, but that there is a, a spiritual battle going on. I know some of you have had those kind of glimpses over your experience. And if we were to look at Daniel chapter 10, we read, there of a, we read there, pardon me, of a great war that takes place in heaven. The demon of the Persian kingdom is battling against the, the archangel Michael. Or in Revelation 12, great passage where you read of this great battle in heaven between a woman who's clothed in the sun, who is pregnant and cries out in pain, and this enormous red dragon tries to destroy her child and the woman has to flee into the desert. As Pastor Daryl Johnson and, and scholar says, he says this great dragon is Satan, and this vision of Revelation points back to the spiritual battle that was going on when Mary was giving birth to Jesus. <laughs> Satan was attempting to, to destroy this little boy, and in his fury, he ended up moving King Herod to murder hundreds if not thousands of little baby boys in that whole region. Folks, the Bible clearly teaches that there are, are transcendent forces of evil and good that clash at a cosmic level and that somehow mysteriously 
and, and powerfully affect life here on earth. Jesus kind of frames this struggle for us more personally, where he says in John chapter 10, he says, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And he says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. John Eldridge, uh, in his book, Waking the Dead, points out the stark contrast that's there in that, that verse. Jesus, in the same breath, puts together these, these two statements. The, the thief, Satan, comes to steal and destroy. That is our enemy's mission, right? Stealing, killing, destroying. But then he says, I've come to give you life. That's God's mission, giving you life. Eldridge says this. He says, by all means, God intends life for you, but right now that life is opposed. It doesn't just roll in on a tray. The offer is life, but you're going to have to fight for it because there is an enemy in your life with a different agenda. We are at war. This is the first thing you need to know, says Daniel, in these, these first, the series of extremely vivid images designed, I think, to seal kind of this spiritual truth to, to his people. There is a war. Expect trouble. Don't be surprised by it. Don't give up. Well, thanks, Derwin. That's a mighty cheerful message. Again, let's stand for closing prayer. Expect difficulty. Expect opposition. There's a battle. Well, let me remind you that in spite of the fact that we are, are, are in, according to Scripture, in a life or death battle, God does not leave us unarmed or undefended. He really doesn't. A couple weeks back, we looked at the kind of training that Daniel undertook in order to become a spiritual athlete, a spiritual champion, and, and, and in order to, to face opposition well. And, and I, I'd say this morning that God desires to equip every single one of us like he equipped Daniel to be warriors and, and overcomers in these very real spiritual battles. David dis- describe it, uh, describes this equipping in Psalm 144 where he says, Praise the Lord, who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. He is my loving ally and my fortress, my tower of safety, my rescuer. He is my shield, and I take refuge in him. And, and one of the reasons that, that David and Daniel prayed is that they knew prayer is the primary defense, the primary protection, the primary weapon in this war. In Ephesians 6.18, we're, we're told this. Take a look at the screen. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Another version says, be aware of the enemy schemes. Be aware that there's a, a battle going on. We see this kind of lived out in, in Daniel. In Daniel 3, we see how, how King Nebuchadnezzar asks the wise men of Babylon to interpret dreams, and no one can. And so Daniel asks ask Nebuchadnezzar for more time so that he can d- interpret the dream. And he goes and he asks his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to do what? To pray. Fast and pray, guys. This is a big one. We need to get this right. Let's pray. And they pray and God, God delivers. In Daniel 6, we see Daniel's response to the threat of the lion's den was to do what? To pray like he'd been praying every day for years. To keep on praying. In Daniel 10, as Daniel prays, the, the angel comes in response to, 
to provide support in the spiritual battle against evil. And I, I don't understand prayer, but in a mysterious way, prayer can influence the onslaught of evil. This is illustrated by a, a Newsweek uh, article from years ago. Listen to this true story. Late one night in an upstate New York, in upstate New York, a journalist decided to take a shortcut cut home up a steep, unlit path. Then she heard steps behind her faster than her own. An instant later, the man was upon her, tightening her new scarf around her neck. At home, her mother woke from a deep sleep, seized with fear that something terrible was about to happen to her eldest daughter. The mother immediately knelt down beside her bed, and she prayed. And back on the stony path, the man suddenly ceased his assault. He cocked his head, almost beast-like, the woman recalls, and fled down the hill. I know, I know some of you have experienced the, the power of prayer. My, my wife tells me this, this fun story where, where she was out jogging. We were just newly married, and she was jogging in our neighborhood. And uh, she, she's got a backstory of this is that she was bit by dogs when she was a kid, several times, I think. They were just like a magnet to vicious dogs. You're a magnet to vicious... You're not. I'm not speaking that over you. <laughs> you like dogs more than they like you. I think that's what I'm going to say. Uh, and anyway, she's, she's out jogging, and this Doberman pincer leaps over a fence in our back alley and starts racing towards her. And she turns around and just says, In the name of Jesus, you stop! <laughs> and it stopped. Actually, I th that was so cool. And it's either because she's a fiery woman or God intervened. I'm not quite sure, but it was amazing. Yeah, I'm going to shut up now. I'm going to go on with the rest of my sermon. That was in my notes. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have said that. Just kidding. Our prayers, as I said, in this mysterio, mysterious ways can, can change situations. I don't know. Have you ever been prompted to pray for someone? And you find out later, you know, you, you have either a nudge or a dream or they come to your mind and you pray and then you ask them about it later and you find out that they were really going through something in that exact moment. It's actually happened to me where, where on, a, on a Thursday I'm, I'm working on my sermon or, or, or I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of, of some difficulty in my life and I'm feeling discouraged and overwhelmed and fearful and all those things. And then suddenly, I don't know why, it's like the cloud lifts and, and suddenly uh, inspiration is there and I, I'm, I'm, I'm able to face whatever I'm facing with, with faith. And I'll find out, I'll tell Angel about it later, and I'll find out that she was praying for me at that exact moment where the breakthrough happened, where suddenly life was there, clarity and all those kind of things. Our prayers in this mysterious way can change situations. Our prayers matter when it comes to enduring and persevering and even thriving in spite of the enemy's attacks against us. And I wonder this morning, if not some of us are facing opposition even today. Or maybe you've been in a season of what feels like opposition. You know? May not be real blatant. Maybe no one's uh, screaming at you at a, a local bus stop. That's only happened to me once. It may not be blatant. It might involve your thought life. You know? You just find you, you hear the enemy whispering lies and accusations to you over and over again. Or maybe it seems for some of you that the temptation levels are just going off the charts. I mean, a, a friend of mine this week was confessing to me, he said, listen, you know, it's unbelievable kind of how weird it is 
You know, the, the kind of temptation that I'm facing right now, I've never faced that before. I sense it's a spiritual attack, my friend said. Some of you maybe feel like uh, Winnie the Pooh's Eeyore, right? Everything's black or everything's dark, and you feel like you got this heavy cloud over your life. Or maybe it involves your relationships, or your family life, or your job. These things ought to remind us to pray. We forget that God has equipped us with this mighty weapon in prayer. By the way, folks, prayer in itself isn't powerful. Prayer connects us to the sovereign authority over everything. It's like calling on the sheriff to come to town when it's being ruled by outlaws. It's calling in the sheriff. I I love how vividly African poet uh, Afuma Kuma describes this. Listen to this. If Satan troubles us, Jesus Christ, you who are the lion of the grasslands, you whose claws are sharp, will tear out his entrails and leave them on the ground for the flies to eat. There are times when Jesus is just not so gentle. And you you know, folks, he he wants us to know that he's greater. He really does. Uh, Years ago, God spoke to me about this. I was battling something quite personal for a long time. And and I remember as I prayed about it one one day, I I, I felt that God made it clear that this was a spiritual battle that I was going through. And as I I prayed, God spoke to me, and, and he said this. He said, Derwin, these are just cobwebs, Derwin. Just cobwebs. And cobwebs can make us afraid. But what do you do with cobwebs? I mean, this is easy stuff. You just just go get the broom. (laughs) You just go get the broom. (laughs) Because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So so prayer helps us advance in in, in spiritual battle, both individual and and group prayer. And if you're a follower of Christ, this may be a time to, to pray that you will not just be defended in this battle and, and avoid trouble, but that God will enable you to, to pr- bring his light into the darkness, that you'll wreak havoc in the darkness, to become dangerous in the very best sense. I love this pic- picture of, of Daniel. He's in a, into his elderly years when he was probably receiving these visions, like 80-something, and, and he, he can't, physically he's not strong like he was when he was a kid, but, but look at what he's doing spiritually. Daniel chapter 10, this battle is going on, and little Daniel is a player in that battle. Coolest thing. I think, I think, folks, what might God want to do through you? What kind of spiritual victory might, might God want to, to bring upon in, in, in your world because of your prayers? I, I think as, and I get excited when I think about our church fasting regularly for five months. I think, what kind of spiritual battles are we going to overcome as we take time to seek God and pray? What might God audaciously want to do through you and me? A few years back, uh, it was actually during my last sabbatical, I got a chance to meet uh, an author that I liked um, and a pastor named Erwin, Erwin McManus. And we attended his church in Pasadena during part of our sabbatical. And I'll never forget a, a story that Erwin McManus told. And he tells of how a few summers ago, his, his son Aaron went to a, a youth camp. 
And, and he wrote, he says, he, he was just a little guy, my son, and I was, I was kind of glad because it was a church camp. I figured he wasn't going to hear all those ghost stories because ghost stories can really cause a kid to have nightmares. But unfortunately, since it was a Christian camp, and they didn't tell ghost stories because we don't believe in ghosts, they told demon stories and, and Satan stories instead. And so when Aaron came home, he was terrified. Does this happen to Cheris? No, not at all? Good. Worry about that. Don't send your kids to camp. They tell demon stories. Dad, don't turn off the light, he, he said before going to bed. No, Daddy, could you stay here with me? Daddy, I'm afraid. They told all these stories about demons. And Erwin says, I, I wanted to say they're not real. But he goes, Daddy, Daddy, would you pray for me that I'd be safe? I could feel it, he says in that moment. I could feel warm blanket Christianity beginning to wrap around him a life of safety, safety, safety. I said, Aaron, I will not pray for you to be safe. I will pray for you to be dangerous. So dangerous that demons will flee when you enter the room. And he goes, all right, but pray I would be really, really dangerous, Daddy. Is it time for you to stop as you're having your, your primary prayer, God, give me a safe life? And maybe your new prayer needs to be, God, make me dangerous. Make me dangerous. Would you bow your heads with me as the team comes up? God. Lord, we would be totally and utterly confused if you didn't tell us what was going on. We just have no idea as we look at the brokenness of our world and, and, and the evil and, and the battles that we face that seem to have no reason. If you didn't tell us that there's a war going on, that there's a, a spiritual battle, that there's a clash in the heavenlies, Lord. If we were ignorant of this, we'd be so lost and yet you, you tell us, Lord, that there's a, a war and, and we're to be aware of it. And, and God, you, you have not let us de left us defenseless. In fact, you equip us with great power. And, I, and, I, and this morning, Lord, we want to, to step into that in, in fresh ways. We don't want to just be tossed about by the enemy's schemes, by temptations, by discouragements. Lord, by the, by the lies and accusations of the enemy, we want to, to, to step into truth and faith, and life. And so we ask once again, like we've asked before, teach us, Jesus, to pray. Teach us to pray. Take, teach us to, to, to learn what it means to call on heaven's resources. To, 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 to move into our lives, Lord, into our families, Lord. I think of our kids, some of our kids who are facing real battles right now. Lord, we, we want to see your power exercised in our families. In our, in our marriages, in our relationships. God, I, I think of, of the battle that's going on in our, in our community and, and in our world that we don't even know is going on, God. And we pray, Lord, that you might cause us to be players like Daniel was. As he prayed, it was, it was for an entire region. And we, we would again this morning claim the tri-cities for you. And, and, and and, and, and we want to rise up and, and begin to exercise the kind of spiritual authority that Jesus had and that Jesus confers on us. Jesus says he confers on us a kingdom. 
So Lord, may we, may we learn to know how to pray much bigger than we prayed. God, would you help us with this? Lord, give us a vision to, to see what you might do through little old us, God. Many of us feel like we cannot make a difference, and yet, Lord, with you, all things are possible. So give us courage and boldness to pray audacious prayers. Lord, you, you want to you you free us up to bring your light to this community, and we pray you would do that today. Your light would shine on our hearts and our lives. You'd grant us grace to walk in your power and strength. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning I was reading scripture in kind of my quiet space, and this was the scripture today where Jesus, the 72 disciples, had returned after being on mission. And... They came back and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And uh, he replied, I, I saw, this is what Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given you authority to, to, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And, and, and I love this, this line he throws in there at the end. He says, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. That's not the point but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the good news here, folks. I, I, I just think, man, we're, we're God's kids, and he cares for us, and he doesn't want to see the enemy bully us anymore. And, and he, he says, I, I've given all that you need to take authority over this, and, and, and I, I've given you power. Just call on me. I'm so near. I, I, I want to I I, I win this with you. God will do that. Rejoice that your names are written in, in heaven. God, we just, uh, we rejoice in that today. And I ask you that uh, whatever each one is facing in this room today, whatever it may be, that they would have power to overcome. That uh, they would understand that whatever they're facing, whatever lies, whatever issues, they're just cobwebs. They're just cobwebs. And we pray together, Lord, you would help us sweep them away. By your name and in your power, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you as you go. Uh, refreshments back there, goodies, uh, bread and veggies out there, and prayer up here. If you'd like prayer this morning, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you as you go.